Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and the author of The Complete Compliance Handbook. Today, I have a real treat for you as I have Christy Grant Hart on to talk about her new book, How to Have a Wildly Successful Career in Compliance. Christy takes some of the top guidance she's been able to develop over the years and talk to some of the world's literally top compliance practitioners to put together a book about how to have a career in compliance. But I found it to be really more than that, because not only is it a book about how to have a wildly successful career in compliance, it also is a book about how to have a wildly successful compliance program, because many of the tips she uh, writes about and the issues she brings work on multiple levels. I think it's a book that every compliance practitioner should have in their uh, compliance library. We're going to go through uh, what's in the book, why she wrote it, how she wrote it, and why we both think it's one of the most important books uh, to come out, certainly since my book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. If you know Christy at all, you know she is a high-energy, passionate uh, compliance officer and really an advocate for the entire profession. I know you will enjoy this podcast, and I hope you'll pick up her book. It goes on sale on Tuesday, June 18th, and we're going to link to the uh, Amazon site in the show notes. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And I would normally say you're in for a real treat today, but actually I'm in for a real treat today together with you. Because not only do you have one of my favorite people in the world ever, Christy Grant Hart, but equally importantly, we're here to talk about her new book, how to Have a Wildly Successful Career in Compliance, which will go on sale on Tuesday, June 19th. So, Christy, uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with me about this great new book. Uh, thanks so much, Tom. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So, the reason I'm so thrilled about this book is it follows um, your uh, uh, prior book on how to have a, uh, a wildly successful career. And uh, but it's it's really it, it it works on so many different levels, Christy. It works on the personal level. It works for the chief on the chief compliance officer level. It works on the compliance practitioner level. And from my perspective, and perhaps most importantly, I found it to work on the compliance program level. So uh, with that, uh, what I wanted to really ask you is why did you write this book as opposed to perhaps any of the other books you could have written? Well, sure. Um, so, Tom, the, the first book I wrote was on uh, persuasion and motivation and how to how to get to your audience. And the second one was on strategy. And what I get asked more than anything else, I get emails nearly every day with people asking me about how to improve their career or how to start in compliance, what to do next. Um, they maybe want to move into financial services and they're in healthcare or all those kinds of questions to say, how do I build my career? And uh, both based on my own experience and in the surveys that I did with compliance professionals, I, I found that there are really specific strategic things that you can do to make your career work. And instead of answering, uh, you know, 10,000 emails, basically, I thought, why not make this into a whole book that addresses this that people can use throughout their career to figure out how to get where they're going and to have a wildly successful career in compliance. Uh, the other thing, though, this is not just Christy 
giving her opinion on how to do it. You actually talked to, uh, I'm not sure how many, but at least numerous compliance practitioners, chief compliance officers, people who've been in the profession a long time, people who've been in the profession perhaps not so long, and really incorporated uh, a wide plethora of best practices around uh, compliance careers into this book. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. Well, as I started to write it, it became immediately clear to me that uh, while I have a, a strong experience in private practice, in being in-house, and also on the consulting side now, um, I had never worked in financial services or in healthcare or in government. Um, and so I thought, well, how do I bridge this? I can't, I can't rationally talk about this. Uh, and so what I decided to do was to survey my audience, and we had over 100 responses from people telling me, um, sometimes anonymously, sometimes not, what's the best thing about your area of compliance? What's the worst? What advice do you have for people getting in? Um, and on top of that, we did uh, what we called case studies. So people from incredible companies um, and with very uh, fantastic careers wrote me about how they do training in compliance and how they do mindfulness and the future of compliance and getting into international compliance. So really, it's not just something that I think. It's a, an amalgamation of the ideas of the community really um, speaking through the book to tell people how to do this more effectively. So one of your opening chapters I thought was a really a great way to introduce the career of compliance. Uh, and it really, uh, I, I would say, started with you in terms of the winding nature of the career of a compliance professional. You certainly didn't start out uh, to be in compliance. And uh, I didn't as well, but many of us uh, uh, came into compliance from either a general counsel's chair or legal department or perhaps private practice. Uh, but I wondered if you might be able to give us some of the thoughts that you have on why uh, the winding nature of the compliance career is so important. Well, I think it may be different in the next generation, but for the current generation of compliance professionals, nobody started out saying, gosh, I want to be a compliance officer when I grow up. Um, it didn't exist, right? This wasn't even a career choice when I graduated from law school in 2008. Um, the anti-bribery work was really starting to heat up, and that, that practice that I was in at Gibson Dunn led me to go in-house. Um, and because of the skills of anti-bribery work and competition work and data privacy, I made sense for compliance. But the first time the recruiter said to me, you know, maybe instead of in-house legal, you should consider compliance. I, I literally had to Google it. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Um, so I think that it's winding because people didn't start out there. They started in finance or audit uh, or legal or maybe, you know, health compliance, like the kind of compliance with health and safety rules. Um, but I think that the career becoming an established idea is recent, but also people don't stay in the same place. I mean, even if you say in, in the title of compliance, you can go from mining and extraction over to, you know, fast moving consumer goods and retail, and then maybe over into banking, they're wildly different industries. And so um, going from one industry to another or, or into a vendor relationship, maybe you're developing products later on and doing sales. It is an incredibly vast field, and that's why it's exciting. Uh, and this is uh, one of the chapters, one of the early chapters that spoke to me on, on multiple different levels, Christy. Uh, and I point to remarks by Wei Chen at the recent Compliance Week 2018 conference held in Washington when someone asked her, who would uh, she put in a compliance function now? And she named a wide variety of professional disciplines. 
she named IT, she named marketing, she named advertising, she named behavioral psychologists, she named behavioral scientists, she named uh, data scientists. And that really struck me as one of the things, uh, the themes I got from your book is the winding nature of the compliance function. It really requires you to have uh, disciplines or at least study a wide variety of disciplines beyond law and uh, something that, you know, perhaps we can talk a a little bit later. But uh, this was really the first chapter where I realized this book works on so many levels uh, for so many different peoples. And as I said in my opening remarks, for a, a compliance program as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, in the, in the, uh, the future of compliance section, Hugh Bigwood, uh, was one of my interviewees, and he talks about how on his team he has former cops and investigators and marketing and sales people and IT people, uh, and how he looks for a wide variety of skill sets while still making sure the person has, you know, a very strong sense of integrity. Um, and I think that, uh, that also widens the profession tremendously from its traditional place of being simply a legal field. And, and while I think that legal will always be uh, an important and useful background, it's not the only one, and that's really important. So you have a couple of chapters about uh, talking about uh, job searches, uh, resumes, uh, seeking jobs, accepting jobs, and then you had one uh, specifically focused on women uh, that uh, I really think about a lot because I have a, a 21-year-old daughter, uh, and it's enti- mm. entitled Asked For It, And you really had some pointers specifically for women around salary, compensation, and promotion. Uh, So I really wanted to ask you uh, kind of what was the genesis of that chapter and what do you advise specifically for women in the compliance profession? Yeah, um, it was a little bit tricky for me to decide to include it because I'm aware of, you know, how divisive gender politics can be. But I felt that it would be... um, doing a disservice to not include it. Because the genesis is I've read so many books about, frankly, how to be a more effective women in the um, the professional world. And there are some really important things that women don't tend to do that can uh, significantly increase, say, um, the space of the wage gap to, to make it decreased. Uh, and one of those important things is to simply negotiate your offer. Um, a lot of times uh, studies have proven over and over that women tend to accept whatever is offered instead of negotiating, which men tend to do more. Um, and also that women don't um, apply for jobs until they have all of the skill set or 95% of the skill set where studies have shown that men will apply if they have 60% of it. And over time, that really creates um, significant gaps or significant um, missed opportunities. So I think that women becoming aware of the things they can do to make themselves um, increased salaries, responsibilities, and able to jump the corporate ladder more quickly, that will have parity, which is really, I think, what all of us want. Uh, and then another chapter, I was really intrigued with your title, and as I read through it, it certainly uh, resonated more with me, which is why is moving up the corporate ladder actually more like climbing a jumble, jungle gym? Uh, yeah, I mean, some very few organizations now are really as hierarchical as they used to be. Um, and a lot of times, uh, if, you, if you've got a compliance um, department of two and you're the number two person, the number per- one person may be there the rest of their life, basically. What do you do? in order to get more skilled, in order to put yourself in a position for uh, advancement, whether in your company or somewhere else. And a lot of times the answer is to go sideways, 
So instead of climbing up the ladder, going sideways and maybe taking a stint in sales or working for internal audit, um, maybe doing essentially, uh, you know, a sabbatical on something, um, trying to not just see it as what's the next level, what's the next level, but what skills can I increase? Who can I meet in other departments? What new champions or mentors can I have that don't exclusively belong to compliance or legal so that I can increase my reach, increase my network, increase my skill set, and through all of those things, increase my career. Uh, and then uh, you, uh, in your next chapter, uh, you talked about several topics, but it tied into uh, something that you cited a little bit earlier on the winding career of the compliance professional. And you really make it clear that understanding numbers, being able to read a spreadsheet, knowing the difference between profit and loss, uh, and understanding a business plan are incredibly important and critical to a compliance professional go forward. I was wondering, going forward, I was wondering if you could uh, give us a few words on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like a lot of lawyers, uh, we joke that, uh, you know, we got into law because we couldn't do math. Right? And um, when I went to my first in-house meeting, I will never forget looking at the, um, the business and someone said, well, our EBITDA this month has been improved by 3%. And everyone nodded their head and said, yes. And I went, EBITDA? And I had no idea what it meant because private practice, I did billing, but I never had to look at the bills or the plan. Um, and now running my own company, I just, everything is about that, right? Everything is about revenue, which is different than profit. Um, and so understanding where your company is and where it's going, whether it's really paying attention to the stock price, what does the annual report say? What are, you know, what are the trends in our industry? What are the disruptions? What are we concerned with? Which direction are we going? Understanding your profit year to year or understanding you know, um, what's happening with, are you shedding business units? Are you acquiring new businesses? Why? Then you can really support the initiatives that the company is, is having. And you can also anticipate, are you going to get a bigger budget or a smaller one? And what direction should you go in and using it? It's really important. And really, this is another point where I thought the book tied in really on multiple levels. Because we saw in the 2017 Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, and then again in the uh, end-of-year new FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy, specific points, issues raised by the Department of Justice around uh, budgeting for compliance. And if you don't understand what your company is doing from a profit and loss perspective, you're not going to be able to adequately uh, assess your needs, both in terms of headcount and budget, and then accurately reflect that in a budgetary request. So uh, I found that chapter really even tied to another level, which was um, what the Department of Justice is now telling us around uh, budget and resources for compliance as opposed to simply the authority of a chief compliance officer. Yeah, I mean, in, in one of the sections of the book is whether you should take the job. And there are several considerations, but a huge one is budget. And it's not just financial budget, it's human resource budget, not human resources, the human resource that you or your team will have. If it's just you, is that appropriate? Is your budget big enough to give your employee population e-learning if that's the only way you're going to get to thousands of employees? You have to evaluate that and preferably before you accept a job offer because it really sets you up to succeed or fail. And while certainly exceptional people can work with tiny budgets, oh, why would you want to if you could get to be someplace where they have enough resources to support the mission? 
so in another chapter, you talk about raising one's profile, and you really give what I would say are some some basic pointers, what they're pointers that need to be uh, articulated, they need to be put out there, and frankly, people like you need to keep saying what those pointers are, so you want to go over them one more time? <laughs> Okay, absolutely. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm the, the banging of the drum on the how to do speaking, uh, primarily because I see so much of it that's done so badly. Um, basically, uh, the, the major ways to raise your profile, writing and speaking are the key ones. Um, and if you get to a certain level, doing podcasts with Tom Fox, um, or being able at least to start commenting on things in LinkedIn or Twitter where people see your name over and over again, um, the more that you can contribute to like the compliance Compliance and Ethics blog or the FCPA blog or any of the places where people will see you, Compliance and Ethics Professional Magazine, um, the more that you can get your name out there as an expert and the more people see it, the more clout you will necessarily have. And it doesn't need to be a huge time-consuming effort. If you commit to writing once a year 800 words of a blog post, you're already ahead of the game. When someone Googles your name, it doesn't just come up with your LinkedIn account or, God forbid, no account at all. Um, it helps you to really show your expertise. And, and I think even more importantly, um, there's a story that in the book and also that, you know, it was real. It happened to me. I was helping a compliance um, uh, team to hire a new hire. And they had a really strong sanctions issue that they needed to resolve. And the person we hired sent their resume with a cover letter and um, uh, an article they'd published on the sanctions issue that the company was facing. I mean, talk about immediately showing expertise and making you stand out from the pack. So I think the commitment to showing up, whether it's in um, speaking, writing, blogging, commenting, there's so many ways to really become part of the community, even just sharing articles you like on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, you become part of the community in a more visible way, and that can make a huge difference. And I really can't emphasize that last point enough, that by sharing with the community, uh, you succeed on, on so many different levels, on the personal level, on the compliance community level, on the uh, benchmarking level, and indeed the, uh, the entire compliance profession across every industry level. So that's, that's really a great point, and uh, the more we can... Uh, do that, I think the stronger we all will be in our profession. Yeah. So uh, your next chapter, uh, I'm not sure this is the one you would point to, to bringing it all together, but Christy, for me, this was certainly one of the most important ones. And it was, to me, one of the most important, and I'm speaking of chapter 10, collaboration is the key, playing well with others, which starts off appropriately with a quote from Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, but <laughs> it works on so many different levels because, uh, or, or worked for me because it worked on so many different levels. Obviously, for the compliance professional reading this, personally, uh, you give some great pointers. But I thought, really, for me, the larger point was how compliance must work with other corporate functions. And if I could take it then to what the Department of Justice says a compliance program should be doing, this is the way you operationalize your compliance program. You work with these corporate functions and you lay out some specific techniques. So uh, I've set it up. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Chapter 10 and why you think collaboration is the key? <laughs> so I just opened the book to, to find so I could quote Captain Jack correctly. He says, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. 
Um, and I think when compliance gets siloed or silos itself, which I've seen repeatedly, uh, gets in turf wars, it is a disaster um, because you aren't a silo. You aren't by yourself. And the more you can utilize the important uh, skills and the important things assigned to human resources, procurement, legal, with management, um, with human, like all of those um areas and especially internal audit, the more you can collaborate effectively with them, the more good you can do for the company. And frankly, the more support you'll have for your program and the better we all serve as a community, um, the company. So what I lay out is, is at least four different ways to specifically work with each of the functions, which tend to include things like um, separating your, making sure that everyone agrees on what the remit is. So if you're talking about whistleblower hotline complaints that tend to deal with HR issues, that you talk to HR and say, right, good. What I'm going to do is make sure I uh, know that every one of these has been closed or I read the final report or I know that it was handled properly. We have a, you know, an investigation protocol that if there's a violation of the code of conduct as well as an HR issue that I'm involved Setting those things up before they happen or even now if they've never been set up can make such a big difference or teaching your procurement team about red flags for modern slavery so that they're equipped um, and that they understand antitrust so they don't go sending um, different um, you know, contracts or different bids from competitors to each other. Uh, there's so many things that you can do to really work effectively with the other, um, the other functions as well as with outside counsel and consultants and, um, organizations that support the community. So I think seeing yourself as part of the greater organism of both your company and of the, uh, the field can really make a big difference in how successful you are. So in your penultimate chapter, you talk about or at least speculate on where uh, compliance may be going, the future of compliance. And you had a great Q&A with Hugh Bigwood. Um, and I was just wondering, kind of what did you take away? Uh, I'm sure you had a longer interview than you've been able to, to write about in the book. But what did you really take away from his thoughts around behavioral economics and how that all ties in with behavioral science and compliance? Yeah, he was an interesting character. Um, I had people uh, read the book, and at least uh, one person wrote notes all over it about how wrong he is. Um, and it's fascinating to me because, of course, it's it's one person's idea, but it's a lot of people's different ideas about how how it's going to go. And Hugh is really, really into nudge theory and behavioral economics, meaning that we can analyze people's decision-making and try to really affect it at the point they're making that decision or anticipate how they're going to behave uh, based on the factors that are around them in terms of their motivations and their ability uh, to influence a situation or make the wrong choice. Um, and, and he's really into focusing on compliance as something you sell and that is a product and how do you manage it as if you had a sales and marketing team to get out there, get the message out there. And if it goes wrong, what he calls after sales service to um, to help the customer have a better experience or to learn lessons to change the product. So it's a really interesting um, framing of what it is we're doing. And, and I think it's pretty fascinating, uh, but it's definitely controversial. Um, wow. I read that and thought this is exactly the way we need to be going. I didn't find it controversial at all. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, in your final chapter, you kind of, uh, put it all together for everyone. And, uh, 
uh, give uh, really some ask people to uh, or, or re request people ask some pretty direct questions of themselves, make commitments to themselves and uh, moving forward. So what were you trying to accomplish in your final chapter? Well, I want people not to just read the book. Um, I think, I hope it's a fun read and that it makes you think, but ultimately I want it to affect your career and I can't affect your career unless you choose to do things that will change it and affect it. And the first thing I think there's so much just going through day to day that if you don't think about where you want to go, it's so hard to get there. So whether or not it's, I want to stay at this company and um, move up two levels, I want to go into a different kind of compliance, I want to be in the vendor side, or I want to be a consultant in five years or 10 years, what do you need to do now to set yourself up for that? So making a commitment to write or speak or comment, whatever that's going to be, writing it down. People find that writing down your goals increases the likelihood of um, actually accomplishing them by an estimated 97%. So it's in the book, write down where you want to go, what you're going to do to get there. Because the fact of the matter is those little things, writing once a year, commenting once a month, sharing once a week, those things accumulate into a huge body of experience and relationships. And that's how you get where you want to go. Well, Christy, um, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but as we uh, mentioned when the podcast opened, the book will go on sale Tuesday, June 19th. Where are you going to have it available for purchase? Well, the easiest place is Amazon. Um, it's available uh, both in hard copy and on Kindle, um, and you can get it globally on Amazon, but you can also go into bookstores and libraries. Um, while they don't always stock uh, compliance books, because of its availability, it can be purchased any of those places, usually with next day delivery. So I really encourage you to go find it, and hopefully it'll make a big difference in your career. And if someone wanted to uh, perhaps uh, follow up directly with you or had some questions with you, could they contact you? And if so, how would they do it? Yeah, of course. Um, so my my blog and my um, the place that I write about compliance is at www.compliancechristy, which is K-R-I-S-T-Y dot com. You can always email me as well, which is Christy, G-H, K-R-I-S-T-Y-G-H at sparkcompliance.com. So I've been visiting today with Christy Grant Hart, author of How to Have a Wildly Successful Career in Compliance. The book will be available on Amazon and other sites on Tuesday, June 19th. I can't really speak highly enough about both Christy and the book. And if uh, this is something, if you're in compliance or you want to be in compliance, this is definitely a book for you. So Christy, with that, thanks uh, very much. And I look forward to uh, your next book. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Take care. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I hope you will rate our podcast it was, as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the longest-running podcast in compliance. Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I hope you will join us again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.